Today, Trevor from Soundstripe joins us in the studio to talk about generative AI and the music industry. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Modern CTO. So you can't tell me all your intellectual property and private stuff? Well, I can tell yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> uh, I can tell you that we have about 10,000 songs now that we own, so okay. that's like that we spent years building. I think probably the last time we talked, was that like two years ago? Yeah, I think it was in 2021, right? Okay, yeah. then yeah, we were probably at like half that. Yeah. So, yeah, done a lot of investment in music catalogs, doing some really cool stuff on um, really what our bread and butter is, is we've created this like, on the business side, I hate to use like the most overused flywheel, but really that's exactly what it is. Like we have this whole thing that when each piece spins, the whole thing moves faster. And it's like, I like geeking out on this stuff too, because the business the business side itself, like we really focused on supply chain. That was like mm-hmm. a big part of our, and it's enabled so many other things now. So, yeah. And what's the elevator pitch for what you guys do? Yeah, we uh, basically Soundstripe, you know, we sell unlimited music to creators. So everybody from fledgling YouTube creators all the way to Fortune 100s, we have, uh, you know, persona-based pricing and plans uh, for pretty much any need. So if you're trying to put music in content, whether it's a podcast or mm-hmm. a video um, or some other medium we haven't even thought of yet, we license that out for use. Nice. Can yeah. you buy unique rights to a specific thing? Uh, we don't do, um, like, basically sell the rights outright uh, in most cases. Um, we have done, actually, for some of our larger clients, we have done that a few times. So we do offer, like, a bespoke thing if you're a uh, larger enterprise and uh, you're looking for a really efficient way to get music that is branded for you and that kind of stuff we've um like in some instances we've actually done like 24-hour turnarounds on fully produced music that's awesome so right. shout out to josh he did a 24-hour turnaround on the intro music for the show yeah, yeah. that's awesome i called him one day i was like hey i was listening to the show you need to do something please and <laughs> he's like okay i'll put it on the calendar for next week i was like i need you to do it like, like now now next episode <laughs> <laughs> He's like, okay. So he goes away and comes back like that night or the next morning. And he's like, here's, here's the first version of it. And I heard it and I was like, that's it done. That is awesome. Phenomenal. That is awesome. Yeah. He's great with music. I love that. That's great. Most of the content you guys have is created by humans. Yes, it is. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the only thing right now that is technically machine is stuff like, uh, you know, using samples Mm -hmm. and things like that. But uh, yeah, we work with human artists all over the globe. So we have, uh, you know, we have a few different models that we work with artists, but we make it really easy. Like basically we have a set of turn-in standards when we get the music from them, but they don't have to mix or master it or whatever. Mm-hmm. We have post-production we have on staff and it goes through this whole, we do all the admin for it. It's basically like you just create and turn it over and we handle everything else. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. We have a lot of experience with that. So, you know, we do our show, but you know, we do about 20 other shows. Okay. I did know. Is this, that's like a, is that a newer thing for you guys? About 16 months ago. So I don't think we were doing it when we talked. I don't think you were either. That's awesome. Some of our customers asked for it. And so we started doing it. I love that. And we've gotten, I think if we actually looked at both of our business processes operationally, there's a lot of similarities. (laughs) Probably some overlap. Because we were designed to take in lots of content and then. Sure polish it up, and then push it back out to the world. How much of that have you automated? Well, we've recently, the producers right now, we're 
battling this concept of it's a craft sure. to do the editing yeah. to where an AI is now able to do it better. And you there, but there's still some things because it's not perfect. Yeah, for sure. So you can't just completely give it a hundred percent over, but you can give ninety-eight percent of it over. Sure. Which is like most things at yeah. this point. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, we use yeah, chat GPT. Um, clearly, like there's a lot of use for that, but you know, we have team members using GitHub Copilot yep. and like all that. There's so many, like a friend of mine kind of I it's kind of like a generative adversarial network, which is like a Mm -hmm. older, you know, ML thing. I think, I don't remember when the first of those came out, but it was one of the, you know, bigger AI advancements over the last few decades. And when the whole concept being, you've got essentially two models playing against each other. And a friend of mine, sort of like, he's not a developer, like in that space or whatever. He's a marketer, but he kind of created his own means of doing that, where he basically has like, Chat GPT spit out, you know, article headlines or copy or like uh, ad titles or whatever it may be. He'll have it spit out a few variations of it and then pump all that into like, you know, Facebook ad AI, right? Determine whichever one won based on engagement and then put that right back into his next prompt in Chat GPT and say, from the last set, this. So he has this like long running chat yeah. with Chat GPT where it's just, so he's basically using each model to play off each other and it's like his ad performance is crushing. Oh, I know. There's a couple out there. Usually they're fairly expensive yeah. and they, they're bespoke or whatnot. Yep. But the I had a guy on probably about five years ago on the show and that was his startup. What they would do is, because the, these models existed for a while now. Sure. Right? They've just gotten significantly better and hit public consciousness. Exactly, yeah. So he would just, it would create like a hundred ads, push them through the API take the best performing one, shut them down. And it would just cyclically Automate. do that. Yeah. And then it would just come back with, okay, this is what works best. And you would mo you could monitor what it was generating and, sure. and uh, contour it along the way of yeah. I want more of this, less of that. But that, there's so many dollars in marketing. And once you have the API to an ad platform, why would you not? Yes, exactly. If you have a machine that can just create thousands of variations and tell you the most effective one, just hit the button. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's not a, at least for the, you know, as soon as the ad market became kind of like the online auction system that it is, I mean, it like there, there's really no reason to try to get quote unquote creative there because the whole point is just to reach people with your message, right? So as long as it's on brand and within your, uh, your voice ethically, like let a machine automate that, you know? But that's the rub. The artist Totally. Having them back off for the efficiencies. And previously I had built some software that would make an accounting team much smaller. And so uh, we would, this was 15 years ago. Sure. We'd go in, 20 people in the accounting team, we'd put this in and come down to two. Right. right? And the people who were curious about what we were doing and were, wanted to learn were the ones that had jobs after. Right. And the people who were dismissive of it were the ones that weren't there because they didn't know how, not because we didn't, no one liked them, because sure. they just didn't know how to use the tools that now run that department. Yes, right. And so when I, when I see this, this comment fiasco on LinkedIn and stuff of people arguing over the morality of this generative AI, right. while they're arguing and philosophizing, if that's a word. Sure. <laughs> 
<laughs> right, 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 right. I don't know. We'll, make it up. <laughs> we'll go with it. It's, it's <laughs> working now. GPT said it's cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Every, everyone else is generating and pushing the tools forward. Yeah, I mean, it's still moving forward, whether you kind of like it or not. Yeah, where it's at. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, there are there are legitimate conversations happening too around, especially in music. I mean, that's like. Yeah, I had a good conversation the other day with kind of a new connection of mine that owns a company that uh, he's in the generative space. Essentially, what we were talking about is like, you know, there are some there are definitely some interesting tools out there where like Boomi, if you've heard of Boomi, Mm -hmm. okay, or BandLab.com. There's a couple others, but they're basically tools where Boomi in particular, you can like you just specify some parameters and click a button. Oh, I've seen those. And it pumps a song out, right? Yep. But their Boomi's whole thing was um, when you create music, they'll just distribute it to Spotify for you too. So it's like fully automated. But then a couple weeks ago, Spotify basically determined that like 13% of the world's catalog was Boomi as of two weeks ago. Oh, wow. So they've put out like millions of tracks on Spotify and Spotify shut it all down. I'd imagine. So yeah, because it was, you know, just basically flooding the system. And the uh, when I was talking to my new friend about this, we were based, where we landed is that like, you know, there is value, part of the value you get from things like, um, uh, got, like I love Midjourney. I, yeah. I use Midjourney for all sorts of stuff. Uh, we've even had some very particular situations. Like one was, you know, my girlfriend had mentioned she, we have like a gallery wall in our, uh, in our dining room. And she mm-hmm. was like, she had this idea for this crazy kind of, it was just like a wacky UFO meets Santa theme. That was what she wanted to do for last year's like gallery wall. And I was like, okay, cool. It was really hard to find cool artwork for that. So I just put it in mid journey. And then we like, all we have to do is print it out and put it on canvas or whatever. Yeah. Right. So, but the cool thing was, is like, depending on my prompt and all these other things, like I felt like I had agency mm-hmm. over that, right? I was able to dictate what was happening. The difference between something like Boomi, um, you know, and it's fascinating, if nothing else, the fact that that tech has come this far. But like just clicking a button, like I don't have an emotional attachment to anything that's making, right? And so what? where the interesting rub I've seen that I think is legitimate is when it gets to the point of like, like right now, there even with systems like ChatGPT or uh, or Midjourney or whatever, there is still that kind of uh, guidance process from a human, right? But like the what happens, you know, and this is more the speculative realm. But what happens when we go further down that train to where like it has all the context of everything I do online and everything I all my emails and X Y Z, and it knows my interests and my own voice and everything else, and like. I don't really have to prompt or dictate anything. It can just kind of figure out, you know, maybe I like, for instance, like if I'm saying like, I need, um, trying to think of something that's more like general, but in in that situation where I created that like UFO Santa art or whatever, I had really specific parameters I, I wanted on that. Right. But again, this is, you know, many years down the road, uh, maybe, but if we get to a place where like, all I'm saying is we have a gallery wall help and it spits out a UFO Santa thing because it uses all this probabilistic Knowing data you. to determine. Exactly. Yeah. Like, what happens? Like, does the world become super boring or homo- no, I, I don't know. I, I think a- it stays about the same. <laughs> it probably because, does. Because here's it the thing. Does. Right yeah. now, there's still the people that won't put the effort into going <laughs> and doing anything and they're just, so they end true. up with the same target wall 
picture that so everyone else has. This is so true. So there's what I have been excited about is the easier this it becomes, the more you'll see a separation of people that have discipline and don't. Love that. Yeah. Because the discipline is what's going to shine. Sure. It's going to be the differentiation between most people and the exceptional people. Sure. Because I can, I, I've always argued if I gave you a, a button that was a money button, you could press it and money would go into your account, <laughs> but only like a thousand bucks, right? right. You press it every okay. time there's a thousand bucks. Eventually you'd like stop pressing it. Right. <laughs> but right, it's kind of hard to imagine that you would stop pressing it. <laughs> sure. But you'd just be like, eh, I don't how much time do I just be like, oh, I spent like 10 minutes today doing it. Ex yeah, right. And then right, it's right. like you could have like infinite money, but you don't. Right. Right. <laughs> and so it's it's a discipline thing. Sure. And I I think so I think discipline is going to shine. And I think we're gonna see a huge growth in in-person events and activity. Oh, yeah. Because I want to do business with you. Right. It's great our robots are running around negotiating. Yeah. You know, maybe your lawyer robot's suing another person. And <laughs> your money robot's negotiating with your finance guy. Right. Like, you got all your things happening. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you still have to wake up and do something. Sure. Well, some people are okay with waking up and, like, just judge judy it the whole day with bonbons. <laughs> Right. I'm not I'm not that person. Like, yeah, no, me either. I would I have to do something. Yes, for sure. And so what is that something? And it'll likely be doing projects with people you enjoy spending time with in order to take the world to that next level. Sure. Yep. And that's what it's gonna be. And so relationships and discipline and in-person activities, I think those three things are gonna be hugely important over the next decade. Yeah. No, it's 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 a great point too, because I think that the as far as like the creative sphere is concerned, there is a ton of, it's a good example. Take like uh, vinyl records, right? So like I have all the music I could ever need for 10, 15 bucks a month, period. Yep. Uh, I still buy vinyl records mm -hmm. because there is, I like the tangibility, there is whatever. Um, and at the same time, I also like, you know, I appreciate that, okay, so mid-journey exists. I can get anything I want through that. And again, you know, fast forward a few years and, when it can truly spit out exactly what you're thinking with mm -hmm. whatever quality, right? I still value human art too. Yeah. And it, if anything, it has a premium on it now because a yes. person put time and blood and sweat into this, you know? And I think the same is true for, uh, you know, there's a lot of advancements happening. Um, did you see the Unreal Engine 5.2 demo? The uh, No. Okay. How recent was it? This was like... A few weeks ago. It wasn't okay. that long. I saw the one from like a year and a half ago. Okay. So it was bonkers. Bonkers. Okay. Yeah. So this one was recent. And what that's what's funny about it is it's just 5.2. It's not even a major version update. And it had the most mind boggling. Like, yeah. They, they, um, they added um, some like deterministic procedural generation where in the example they gave, they have, well, this was cool too. They had a 3D scanned Rivian truck driving through this thing and it looked, I mean, it looked real, real. And yeah. they're driving it through this kind of uh, like Rocky Canyon or whatever. They get to a, a, a Y fork in the canyon, right? And in front of them, the thing that is forking it is this huge, it's just like a canyon wall, you know? There's like a Y and there's a big canyon wall. And out of the canyon wall, you can see a lot of this like organic, there's like foliage, you know, in certain spots, um, like little rocks and like things that look like they, you know, took place over thousands of years, branches sticking out of the walls and right. Well, while they're playing the game, so it's like, this is still runtime. Uh, the designer of the game, you know, it's a demo of course, but it's, they're, they're on stage and the designer's like, Hey, 
we changed our mind. We, we don't want this fork here in this canyon or whatever. So they just move it to the side. And when they do, all of the like procedural evolution redoes all of the branches and yeah. rocks and whatever. And there's even like new, like a new little stream pops up because that's like a new element or whatever. And all of, what was interesting about it though is it was um, things that, you know, that's not my world. Like I'm not working in Unreal, but. So I wouldn't have thought of this, but I just thought it was so cool that they had like, because it was deterministic, you could have, you could have an artist that's still guiding this thing, right? Yes. And they, they're moving it around, they're trying a few things, and then if they're like, uh, I don't like where it's at now, move it back two slots or whatever. When you do, it looks exactly like it did then because it was deterministic. So you're basically, you know, you think of it like a Google Doc, right? You mm -hmm. just command Z and it looks like it did, but it's this super hyper complex thing and every time they moved this i mean that would have been days of work for a person and mm -hmm. it would have looked exactly the same and what's fascinating to me about the you know talking about the creative sphere is like what new types of things are going to be created or come out when the time to doing so is shrank and like how fast are things going to keep moving to where you've got or even like going on the uh, discipline train you were talking about, right? People that have discipline but don't have that skill set, right? Right. What happens when they start jumping into stuff like this? They're, is they're doing it. Exactly. It's right fascinating. Now. And it's so, I love the empowerment that comes with that. Like, it, you just opened it up to, because here's the thing. We've all had calculators. We've been doing, <laughs> we've right. had their stuff automated for a little bit, for right. a minute. Now they're getting the creativity side automated and they're, they're going to have a field day with it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, it's uh, for a long time, I can't remember the quote I saw, but it was basically like, we thought that creative jobs were the only ones safe from robot overlords, yeah. you know, and that all the factory jobs would go away. Turns out it is much more difficult mm -hmm. to make a automated assembly line of something than it is to teach something what creativity looks like. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating topic because it's still very much the wild west. And my, like my hot button opinion is that sort of this new, just like you said, these generative models are not new, right? They just hit when chat GPT came into beta a few months ago, it just flipped everything. Yeah. Like yeah. public sphere. It was a, it, I think it hit a new level of like, Oh wow, this is much more real, you know. I texted my um, so my the venture fund that invested in me five years ago, Florida Funders. Yeah, I was like the third investment. They've grown to be the largest VC in Florida. Wow, they have hundreds of investments. Wow. So I know like you know the original couple people there, and sure. they're very nice, and they've been working with me for years. And about a year ago, I had seen the I, I tracked the progress of a handful of projects, sure. right? And I had seen where it was going to be, and I was like, "Oh no, this is going to be crazy!" So I texted Mark. I was oh, like, "Mark, that's wild. I go watch out for any investments that are like with this generative text modeling and everything." Yep. And I gave him a couple examples of how I would implement it, or just general ideas that flew through my mind. Sure. And he was like, "Cool, cool." And then I talked to him like a couple of weeks ago. And we were on a meeting, and I said, and and that came up, and I was like, "Mark, remember that text?" He goes, "Oh my gosh, I do remember the text." <laughs> he goes, "Wow, and I, I love that." Yeah, yeah. You needed like a gold plaque on your wall of I, know. I predicted Chat GPT is what. It <laughs> Dude, that I predicted the. Um, we had to cut it from the show at the time, but. 
I predicted the like acqui- uh, an acquisition Zoom info was going to make. No way. They were in the middle of it, and he like looked at me, and we had to like cut it out, and it was this whole big thing. That is. Yeah, and then and then like seven months later, he made this big one of the the I think it was like the CTO of Zoom Info, right? The the data company or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And he made this big post on LinkedIn. He said, "Joel, aka Nostradamus." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, first let me Google who Nostradamus is. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that is amazing. Also, Nostradamus had your beard, I think. So there, it's like way too accurate. Pretty sure he did. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Will, you know, Duck Dynasty guy, yeah. Lily Robertson? Yeah. I got to meet him this last weekend. No way. And he's, and he's like, look at that beard. <laughs> awesome. You know, you've made it when he says your beard is great. You I know. know. That's like, I, I'm in the beard camp now. I know. Yeah. I but, told him, I was like, I snuck backstage. I told everyone I was your nephew. <laughs> and he looked at me like seriously. He was like, <laughs> like oh my. <laughs> Really? What did they say? I was like, no, bro, I paid. (laughs) (laughs) I paid to come back. That is amazing. Yeah, yeah, and that, like, I, I, the other thing in particular with, um, you know, when when it, like, I don't know, showed its head, ChatGPT, towards the end of last year, the technology itself is, like, I truly believe, and this was my, like, hot take, is that this is sort of, like, if I had to define web three, this is it. Mm -hmm. It's that because not that I don't see value in uh, blockchain technology or crypto in general, but I truly believe that what we're seeing right now is the next step change of the internet. Like how we think about search is changing actively, right? Mm -hmm. Clearly how content is being generated and what content is being generated and who's generating it. Robot is changing. Uh, how we're doing our jobs, what jobs exist, like that's that's what happened with Web 2.0 and mm-hmm. Web 1.0. So it's just uh, this to me is, you know, I don't claim to be able to predict it as well as you can, <laughs> Nostradamus, but um, but I do. I think that there's a lot of like over the next few years, we're gonna see stuff that like was literally in Star Trek again, just like with the iPad. And, oh, yeah. You know, I mean, it's, that's that's what we're on the train for now. Yeah, I, I don't think it was anything too special uh, predicting it. I just typically, I actually am surprised that I find people are surprised when you just connect basic dots and they're like, how'd you know that? And I was like, well, first of all, I'm a customer of Zoom Info. Secondly, intent data at the time was like booming sure. as this idea. And I suggested to him that he purchase an intent data company because uh, that because I wanted him to, because I wanted it ingrained into the product. Sure. Because I was a customer. Sure. And so that's that's how that got started. But like for you, what I would think is gonna happen for your company right. is I think you would you would take how you prompt mid-journey and use that for music creation. Yeah, so there's a, and there is, like, have you seen uh, Music LM, which is Google's? Okay, so Music LM is that. It's Google's thing. They just put out a, they did a white paper for it at the beginning of the year, but about a week or two ago, they put a beta out of a UI that you can actually go and prompt. Yeah. Yeah. The the only thing is, is, like, the technology is amazing, no doubt, but it is, it's surprisingly similar to generative music, that has already existed, like the boomies and the like amper music of the world. Like that was, that got acquired by Shutterstock, I think five or six years ago. But it's, and the reason I say that is because it's actually pretty dang good at certain types of like EDM, right? Mm-hmm. Which makes sense. That's already like a computer oriented genre, right? Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, but I mean, if you try to do like authentic jazz or blues or whatever, yeah. I mean, it, what is even happening? You know, it just doesn't do it or metal or whatever. But the the concept is certainly interesting, especially again, I I know how much value I get out of something like a mid journey or whatever. And as we we're always like looking at ways even outside of the generative sphere in terms of content creation, because, you know, generative can also mean uh, insight derivation, right? Like mm-hmm. pulling insights out of things too. So there's a lot of interesting stuff happening that like, and frankly, it's a matter of like prioritizing because there's so many cool things we could or are doing, some of which I can or can't talk about. But I, the the things that we're actively working on are like, what, what would our customers care about? You know? Because right. the... Going back to the even the uh, the crypto thing, that was the like probably my biggest like head scratcher with a lot of what was happening in Web three of the last couple of years is there were so many things happening that were a solution in search of a problem, where mm. it was like Web three was the hammer, so everything became a nail, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember listening to a podcast where a very large game company that has their own web store online was I think it was the president or someone that was talking about. They had um, created a, they were creating a secondary market through their digital marketplace, right? And they were using blockchain because XYZ, blah, blah, blah. It was a centralized marketplace. You didn't need blockchain for that. They did it for marketing. And I understand that. But yeah. it was also like, that's a prime example of like, and then there was, there was another company that put, uh, and it, this was a big one, like marquee name. I can't remember who it was, but all they did was they changed the name of one of their products. They put bit in front of the name and their stock <laughs> went up by like 20% that morning. Like just what? They didn't do anything else. Um, but in all that stuff happens in any bubble, you know, yeah. any kind of like so. Uh, and I'm certainly not faulting the technology for that. It's just that like the the difference with what I think we're seeing with AI is like it truly going to the customer facing thing. Like customers didn't care about half that stuff with Web3, right? Like, they're, the value was typically on the side of the creator or whoever's benefiting from the secondary market or whatever. In the case with AI, the value is there for everybody. Like, it has already been shown to be the case for consumers, businesses, et cetera. And there is so much, um, to your point, about the, like, sort of flame wars that are happening online. We spent, as a society, I feel like we spent so much time pushing against the grain or like maybe uh, trying to like put a wall up to change, it is going to happen. We as a species just build things. That is literally since the beginning of time, that is what we do. We're going to keep building and do it, blah, blah, blah. No matter what the legislation winds up being, it's going to, I mean, look at Uber and everything else that flipped the taxi industry on its head. Like there were laws. with our dollars. Exactly. And I, I'm just, frankly, at least for, for the generative side of music, what I am excited to see are the ways in which this can enable a new economy for musicians. Because I truly believe that people that aren't even musicians will become that. Just yeah. like we were talking about with the discipline thing and being able to use tools that help you do that, right? Like, I'm not a great musician. Like, I'm a medium musician, right? And the idea that I can then use tools to augment that without having to spend the 10 years to get there because I can, my problem is I can hear it in my head. Sure. And I'm just like, how do I make that happen? Sure. And so with the assistive tools that what that would do is that it empower me that I have a a physical time block issue with being able to acquire those skills. Yeah. And now that's gone. Yep. 
because I don't really need to. Because sure. now I have this assistive tool that can allow me to do it. Exactly. It's like you arguing I'm going to walk to Las Vegas instead of taking a plane. Right. <laughs> it's like you use whatever the <laughs> modern technology is around you. Exactly. 100%. And you know, the I think a lot of the argument there, in particular in what I would argue is probably more of like an elitist stance, is like, oh, well, you like it undermines all the time people have put into their their craft, right? But at the same time, like, why is that only exists because we haven't had this? Yeah. Like, that is literally the only reason that is the case, right? Uh, or like, by that same token, should anyone be allowed to use a keyboard with that argument? It It's using a computer to process samples that they may or may not have created, you know? So I, I totally agree. I think it's honestly like the... There will be hurdles that have to get navigated. It's happening with every, uh, I mean, whether it be litigation or whatever, like all that stuff, Mm -hmm. but it always winds up getting figured out. Like there is, I don't think there has ever been a technological innovation that was a, a wave that changed things like this, that just all of a sudden stopped because we just wanted it to. It won't. It won't. You can't. You can't. The, what we experience because, you know, it took me a while to figure out, so I'm 35, but it took me a while to figure out like why people at each juncture in the evolution of the economy and humanity always are like freaking out about the job loss. It's like, we've been dealing with this since the beginning of time. The only v- variables that it's been speeding up. Right, And yes. so it's speeding, and that might, that's definitely something to consider. If we, yeah. if we decimate an industry overnight, that's not something we have efficiency with like in the fifties, it would take a long time for it to to play out. So we will have to figure out like, what do we do then? Sure. Yeah. But that, that's going to be a super, super tough problem. I did. And in speaking of lawyers, I did talk with the, the lawyer of the, I think it was like David Gouda or Gouda, the guy that did the Eminem thing. Uh, it was David Guetta. Yeah. Yeah. He did the Eminem thing live. Yep. And his lawyer came on the show. Oh, cool. Yeah. And we were talking to him about it. And the take, and Josh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the takeaway from it was that it's just the wild west right now. Yes, hundred percent. Like, there's just going to be tons of lawsuits, and then yep. case law will happen, and then. But it's just he looked very happy. I imagined he was making a lot of money. <laughs> I would imagine so too. <laughs> with, yeah. If you're like the foremost expert in the world on dealing with this, sure. I mean, I I'm a creator. Sure. I definitely agree agree that if you're going to be using Eminem's likeness, you should he should get some money for it. Sure. Because he he crafted it. Sure. And then if somebody's going to use your likeness, you should get some money for it. Right. I have no idea how to price it. I have no idea <laughs> right. how to enforce it. Sure. And I can tell you one thing for certain. People are going to do it either way. Either way, right. It's it's the Napsters. It's, it's the yeah, yeah, LimeWire. Yeah. 100%. Well, and it's also, the other thing that's tricky is that it's in this weird gray area between, so likeness is typically handled with, uh, if I understand this right, I think trademark, right? Whereas you know, your melodies and your compositions and stuff, that's handled with copyright. So, but the where it straddles this line is like, this is sort of, because it is, I think it leans toward leans towards uh, being a trademark thing, right? Like, because it is Eminem's likeness, but also there is a, they're creating new work from it, mm-hmm. like derivative, rather than, you know, it's not, they're not just printing his image a bunch. Yeah. It's just like you said, it's a new world. And frankly, it's, I don't know, once case law happens, I don't know if it will ultimately wind up changing copyright law or if this is truly 
Like, is this a, a uh, not a medium, but a, um, a form of replication that we don't have a name for yet? You know, like it's not, because it isn't, it's not M&M's, like we use likeness for image, yeah. name, that kind of stuff. Those are all static properties, right? But like, is your voice your likeness? Because for instance, there are, you could probably find two people in the world at some point in history whose voice sounded the same. Oh, there's pe- some, every, people that look alike or whatever. If right? you have not, if, you've, if you're over 30 and you have never had someone send you a, a Google image or something of a person that <laughs> looks exactly yeah. like you, you're doppelganger. Exactly. And you see that photo and you're like, you can tell like the slight variance, but you, you're like, wow, that's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty spot on. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty crazy. Look yeah. at this, the doubles you ever see in the action movies when they right. put the people next to each other it's like oh my goodness exactly like, yeah they look it's exactly true. the same it's true and i also don't know uh you know and if anybody's uh deals with likeness law they probably already have all this figured out so i and i certainly don't know any of that but what i do think is interesting is what happens with because how different is it from uh like if i do a cover song right i can find someone that sounds a lot like a singer yeah and I'm not violating anything if I make that a cover song mm-hmm. and then I own the recording yeah. because, and well, music copyright law is super complicated, but there's the recording and then there's the composition. So the act, who, whoever wrote the composition still owns that. But if I do a cover, I own the recording, but I'm also not violating anything if it's not actually that person's voice. So is that different though than using a machine that sounds like someone's voice? This is where yeah, And then, and then how would you, what sort of tools would come about that could, because, because they're horrible. Right. Your open AI's right. hit rate's 20% <laughs> on detecting its own type of text. Yes. It's just so perfect. Yeah, they exactly. Can't, they can't even do it. So if, like, how would you differentiate between me just telling you, oh, that's my voice sure. and my inflection, yep. and I just tweaked the settings of the filter my voice is going through, and it just happens to sound a lot like Eminem. Exactly. And I just happen to be talking about topics that Eminem talks about. <laughs> so it's going to be sure. super messy yes. as, as we go through it. But it's a lot of fun for me because my business is not that close to the the music. Sure. Like you see Ed Sheeran. I don't know. That's how I say his last name. If that's not how you say his last name, I don't care. <laughs> I think it's Sheeran, but I'll let you have that Sheeran, one. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the fancy version. When he's in a suit, it's Ed Sheeran. <laughs> Sheeran. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. That's a new one. <laughs> did he win his thing? Did he did. He, he won. He, he, he did, won? and he deserved to win that. Uh, yeah, that case was crazy, in my opinion. Um, but look, <laughs> it was so far fetched. I thought it was a joke when I heard about it. Yeah, I'm like, what? Uh, same. Um, no, he totally won, and he even like after he won, they did like an interview, and he's like, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he was basically like, I can't believe. We made it to court with that. I know. That's basically like, if what? that artist was alive, this would never have happened. No, it wasn't again. Marvin Gaye, Marvin I think. Gaye. Yeah, he, it's because it's like his great great grandkids, nephews, cousins, or they're just doing it for money. Absolutely, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, and I get it. And I would say that they should one hundred percent do it if it was like a legit yes infringement. Infringement. Absolutely. This wasn't even close. No, that's like me saying like you know G D E minor is like yeah my thing exactly. <laughs> that Wonderwall couldn't use that chord progression. Of because every song 30 years prior used it, you know? Right. Like, yeah. So, you know, I do, I actually love um, talking about the Ed Sheeran thing in particular. I wonder what happens with, so you referenced earlier like robot lawyer, right? Yeah. Where it gets interesting is like what, you know, the, I think GPT-4 is performing in the top 10% on the bar exam or something. Yeah. That's what oh, they yeah. said, right? 
Okay. What happens though in super gray area cases where there's like determinations being made on like, you know, how, and this is the classic morality of can a robot determine what's moral or whatever, but yeah. maybe not Ed Sheeran's cause that one was again bogus, but like, uh, um, there was a lawsuit a few years ago with a Katy Perry song mm -hmm. and a Christian rapper that said that oh, she yeah. copied the beat or whatever. And through some adjustments, like if you change the pitch of the beat, basically, it sounded very similar. So they went to court over it, and I don't even remember what the outcome was, but like those determinations are still made based on a judgment, mm -hmm. right? So do we need new laws around, is, is there like an arbiter that decides for a robot? Is there, do we let them make those decisions? I, it's like assistive tools for the judge, maybe. Yeah, right, exactly. Like the, the attorneys will use all their tools. Yeah. By the way, they're crazy AI tools and law now. Are there? Oh, I yeah. believe it. I, yeah. I did a law project several, like about 10 years ago. So I still have some friends over there. Sure. And I've sort of followed the progression of what was there 10 years ago when we were looking at yeah. concepts and what's there now. These AI can read and understand the document, point out issues, suggest different cross examine That's case amazing. laws. And it basically, the way it works is in it's like a sidebar in the app. It's like this intelligence sidebar. Okay. It, it can give you, you can ask it questions, you can do things, you can sort of control it over there. Wow. And it's it's suggesting things to you. It's pointing out different parts of text. You can take people's in discovery. I can just take all of your emails and push them in there and then have it Whoa. go through Filter all of your, your emails, 30, to, emails to find the thing. Because that's one of the hard things for discovery is Absolutely. if you get 30,000 emails, you have to have a team yeah, of these people all. reviewing all of them, hoping you don't miss miss something. Now, 30 seconds later, you can, and you can even tell it, hey, go see if there's any incriminating evidence. Why can't you talk to it like a person? Sure. You can. Absolutely. You say, go find any incriminating evidence uh, that is inside of this. And these things are smart, dude. Have you? How much have you played with GPT-4? Oh, like, a lot. Like, I mean, I've been okay. a paying subscriber as soon as they made me too. Plus. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I use all the time. Yeah, we use it. Uh, we all use the time. it constantly. It's amazing. And if you get, this is the other thing. And th this is now starting to happen on LinkedIn. People are pointing this out, but people have only been using it to like, like people haven't really taken advantage of how you can prompt these things. Oh, I know. It's crazy. Anyway, go ahead. What you're saying? Well, no, I don't remember what I was saying. But to your point, <laughs> every time I meet someone in public. And they're not, they're typically like non-technical. I'll give you an example. So I go to church and at my church, there was like a, uh, like a secondary pastor, not like the main guy. Yeah. And he had to write this paper. Yep. And at the Wednesday night group, I was like, oh, GPT. And he's like, okay. And so he played with it. And then Sunday he saw me. He's like, dude, this is like garbage. Right. And, and I was like, all right, well, tell me like, what, what, what did said. you, what did you say? How did you, he's like, oh, I said, write me a 14 page paper on like Matthew and whatever. Uh, okay. And he went off and I said, Oh yeah, that's not how you do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so I started to give him some examples of of you know don't just say write my paper. Sure. Like figure out you know different areas and ask it, prompt it in different ways, and give examples. And Even like, put your own past content in there to put your voice. Yes. In it. Like, oh yeah. Yes, it can, yeah. it does really good saying act like. Yes. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. The you mentioned earlier the twenty percent detection that they're yeah, yeah right. Uh, you can thwart it one hundred percent of the time if you just ask it to change its voice. Um, it cannot work with that. Like literally, basically, if you ask it to have an empathic tone mm. or empathetic tone, uh, if you ask it to use your voice and give it, you know, here's a paragraph I've written or whatever, uh, detection is impossible, basically. It goes away. Yeah, I've put my own transcripts through it. Yeah. And I'm like, it's, oh, you evil Joel. <laughs> 
<laughs> then I break my MacBook. And then I realize that it's hosted somewhere else. Exactly. And I feel bad. And, and I pick up the scraps there. from my MacBook. <laughs> call up Wozniak. Hey, bro, we got problems. <laughs> <laughs> the, world, the world's falling. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Oh, it's. I mean, it's. Yeah. It's. Uh. It's super exciting. It's also. I. Just like people not really knowing how to prompt and stuff, I think we just don't even know what all is going to come out of this. It's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Wild. prompting is the skill. It's going to yes. be a hugely important skill. It's yep. going to be the the equivalent of being able to write code. Yes, like you're going to need to prompt. Yeah, well, yeah. And it, even um, you know, like um, uh, like using GitHub Copilot, which is their like mm-hmm. assistive thing. They have a new version coming out that has GPT four under the hood. Mm-hmm. That I mean, example like right now, um. It can only, or at least like a year ago, the last, I, honestly, I use ChatGPT for like most of my coding assistance now. Yeah. Um, and because Copilot X isn't out yet. But how Copilot worked before is it would either, it would take context from the file you're working in or whatever. And maybe this is the ChatGPT plugin. I can't remember. I've tried 100 of these things. But either way, um, a lot of them will, they'll take context from the file you're working in and can make suggestions or like, you know, you can prompt it if you need some boilerplate written or whatever. But the the other thing, too, is like most of the programming problems or the things that take the longest typically are stuff like debugging, like Mm -hmm. discovery with emails, right? Because there's so much review that has to happen and trying things or whatever. Or solving really hard problems that have been solved before, but but you have a particular use case, right? Uh, Example, I was playing around with writing a browser-based video editor about a year ago. Okay. And... I wanted to do like, you know, if you drop an, I don't know, like a video clip into an editor and I wanted to do an, uh, an effect where it's like stacked images, mm-hmm. like it looks like photos being dropped on each other, right? Well, I need to like cock each photo, yeah. like rotate it, rotate, right? Yeah. Okay, well, to do a rotation handle like you would expect with an image editor, there's trigonometry involved with that. I haven't done trig in years. I haven't needed to, Right. I've never done it. <laughs> okay, well, trig is basically what you need for that and like these like matrix multiplication and stuff that I just don't use. I haven't any need for it. And it took me like, base, I was spending like days having to like relearn stuff I haven't done since 10th grade, you know? And uh, I, literally in an instant, I could have had that whole slew of time yeah. given back to me and I'm never going to use that again. Why would I need to spend all that time on you that? You don't. Exactly. And so going, again, to the discovery piece and stuff like that, the more context these tools are able to handle, like, right, like if I can pipe our entire organization's code repo into it and it can understand how our database schema works and all these files are talking to each other, et cetera, how much more effective can our small engineering team be, right? And how much, like, how much cost saving can we get out of that? How much more agile can we move mm-hmm. compared to larger competitors and things like that? That's the stuff I'm super excited about. With. Well, I'm actually curious because yeah. I started looking into this in the past couple of weeks, like getting into the moving past the the idea of I can tell it within the context of a conversation and yeah. find value there, use it for sales follow-up emails by pushing stuff in there and saying, yep. hey, how would I respond to this? All sorts of different ways of using it. And what I found is as I wanted to use it more, I needed it to have a larger understanding of the context. Yep. And then I quickly found that you're limited. Yes. So I wanted it, I took a transcript of a sales call and it was it was fairly long. And I put it, I tried to put it in. It's like, okay, you're limited to 2,000 something tokens. Right. And then I was like, all right, well, and I started talking to it and saying like, what type of systems 
allow you to get around this. That's awesome. And and it started explaining to me the different types of models that you can use and the different ways. And I got all the way to the point where it's giving me like code samples, awesome. right? Because I think that's what a lot of people want to do. Yeah. I want to drop my, you know, SQL or whatever yeah. database and uh, not SQL, Postgres. Drop my Postgres. <laughs> sorry, sorry guys. I was unclassy for a minute. Hey, it's all good. It's <laughs> I gotta funny. get that elephant action. <laughs> Dropping Postgres oh in there, and I want, it, and then I just want to talk to it. Yep, you know, and I want it to understand. It'll pick up that it's a real estate application based off the, like the the table yeah. names. Yep, and, and and then I also would love to throw the code in there. Is do you know currently? Because again, this is actually the conversation I was having yesterday with it when I was trying to do this. Nice. So this is well timed. Yep. Do you know of any tools where I can just throw a bunch of unstructured data at it, and it could hold all of it in context? I don't know of anything. Like off the top of my head, I couldn't point you to anything. But what I do know is that based on some blurbs that, like, because uh, GitHub's Copilot X that's built on GPT 4, if I remember right, some of their marketing around that was that it would essentially, since your repos in GitHub, right? Yeah. It would be able to have context for your organization's repos, which that to me is huge. That's gangbusters. However, the problem you're talking about extends outside of coding even because there are like, Good example. Um, there are marketing teams who are struggling to get their entire, like they may have like a essentially, you know, a spreadsheet type database thing of their brand voice, right? Mm -hmm. Like that have examples of here's how we would answer or like on these particular subjects, here's uh, the way we approach them. And then all, uh, you know, there may be like Boolean type things too, like yes or no, do we cuss in our posts? Mm -hmm. You know, stuff like that. So, but the problem is, is that like, depending on what you're prompting or what you need, right? Like maybe I need an article written and I need I need it to have this database of what our brand voice is, but also I want to paste in another article that I'm taking inspiration from and like I've maxed out the limit, right? Mm -hmm. And so the uh, this just came up in a conversation that I was having with a marketer friend of mine about two weeks ago where there are tools that are like sort of trying to help. Um, and I don't know if they are, you know, trying to essentially summarize your brand voice and pump it in from mm -hmm. your table or like how exactly it's getting that context into the token limit. There are things that are trying that, but there is no singular tool that I know of now outside of building your own model because, yeah. you know, you, you can create a model where you have enough resources that you could dump context in and fine tune it for what you need. But there's also like, at that point, clearly it's not GPT-4, right? Yeah. And you're also like, when you're when you're getting to the level of needing to fine tune it, you're back into R and D land, just doing what OpenAI is doing. Yeah. So it's there's a there's a trade off where like, unless you have that kind of resources, you you could make something amazing, but you could also wind up running into the same stumbling blocks that they're running into. I'm sure as they build things, you know. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know of anything right now, and I there you know some listeners might have some suggestions, but I don't know of anything that takes honestly more than the prompts, even that. Uh, because now I think there's a, I don't remember, they extended the token limit for plus yes. users or whatever. It's like 8,000 or something now. I don't know. I know that there is, um, there are other tools that do similar stuff like Replit, if you're familiar with that. It's basically like a, um, Replit is like a cloud hosted code environment. They were like one of the earliest to that, but they have their own assistive AI coding technology. Mm -hmm. And if I remember right, they do some sort of context awareness since your all your codes in the cloud, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I had question. I had some success 
with, I took the conversation and I started breaking it up by like five minute chunks or yeah. 15 minute chunks or whatever. And, and I, but I told it, I said, okay, I have this conversation that's larger than mm. the token limit. So now I'm going to yep. paste it in sequentially and so on. And I did it and it, like it definitely was annoying because it was trying to respond to every yeah. thing. Yep. But after I got it all in there, probably like six paced, it really under it was. I went back and looked at the conversations, and I intentionally formed a question where it would have to understand. Yep. From from more than one paste something, and it did. Yeah. And I was like, all right, well then now I'm just slowly learning the limits. I looked at the API. They said that the fine tuning API can hold that across conversations. Yes. Yeah. And that's essentially when when you're in a to my understanding when you're in a, like we open a new chat, right? Yeah. Chat GPT. Every back and forth is essentially you fine tuning it for that chat. For so, that chat. Exactly. Yeah. So and I think that's basically what the API is replicating is allowing you to do that in Yeah. And yeah, you can use that that way. I don't know what I don't know, and I've never hit this, but I don't know if there's a limit to that. You know, like if there's a, and do they specify that on the API? If there's a limit to how much you can fine tune? Um, I only got as far as trying to understand the right words to even talk about this stuff. <laughs> sure. So I had an idea. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And so because of this idea that I had, I talked to my buddy and we're like, hey, let's go just kind of kick the tires and see if, see if there's anything even here. Right. And so I had to take, from my conversational, talking with different people, from that level to an actual, like almost practitioner level to push it beyond what I knew how to make it do. And that was all like a lot of this week. Yeah. And me just exploring and trying to figure out. And it's been really helpful because as you know, when you achieve mastery of something, you have this mental model in your head. Right. Right. And to you need that in order to talk about it and reason about it and figure out what's possible. Yep. Right. So I was just working on building that model of, okay, exactly what do these models look like? Sure. How do you make them? Like, where do they live? Yep. Uh, how would you boot one? I'm a you know software engineer, so sure. I've never done much with this. Right. But I was like, what would that look like? You know, yep. how does it work exactly? And so I just asked a ton of questions and, and learned a whole whole bunch about it. But the idea that I have had before, which isn't what I was specifically looking at this week, is like I just want to give it like my parents own a medical company, okay. right? They yep. um like doctors to go see them, right? Got that, it. That type of medical company. And they do like three to five million dollars a year, nice. right? So it's yeah. small business and and they sell all sorts of things, like 40 products from uh, vitamins to awesome. the, the patient visit and all of that stuff. And I wanted, and, and they keep their stuff in QuickBooks, okay. right? And so a couple years ago, they were asking me to take a look at the PL and the stuff because they have seen me in, in, in my interest in business right. and asked me what I was thinking about it. And I quickly found out that there is so much amazing data that they have on all of these people and products and transactions Interesting. that they don't use at all. Right. So for example, when we wanted to do reports of like, okay, well, what's the best selling product across this time frame? Or we had all of these questions and the the labor to build the reports was so significant. Yeah, I bet. And you, you know, the cleaning up of the data because the reports are fairly rigid and yep. all of that. And so I said, why can't I just take this QuickBooks database? And shove it into sure. a, an AI model, and then just talk to it. Right. 
Like, why is that not something we can do today? Why can't I, and you own a business, right. why can't we take our, our P&Ls and our sure. business transactions and our cost and shove it into these systems and say, okay, act like and pick our favorite business person who's right. written X books yeah. on the topic yep. and use their principles and advise me, something I'd normally have to stroke a six-figure check for. Exactly. Advise me on what I'm not seeing in my business yep. or the, the next couple moves I should be considering. That is when I'm going to get real excited when we get to that point. I agree. I agree because right now there's a lot of, just like you said, there's the initial lift, like the actual getting all that stuff together, <clears throat> figuring out a way to where it's even analyzable by you. Like how, how do you even... You know, like, for instance, if you have data that's not in a structured format, like like a QuickBooks database or whatever, maybe it's spread across a whole bunch of spreadsheets with different formats and whatever. Uh, maybe it's from disparate sources, QuickBooks and a spreadsheet and whatever else and cash and whatever, you know, like you have all these records of all these things in different places. And honestly, the the financial piece itself, like financial analysis, is... That same problem, it pretty much exists in most, you know, we, we have tools that like, uh, you've got mixed panels of the world that help you actually track behavioral data and stuff, right? But analyzing that stuff is still a manual process. Building your dashboards, picking out insights and things. Like, I, I think about this all the time of like, why isn't there more? And there are some tools that surface some of this stuff, but like, basically... We, you know, we have, there are teams all over the world, uh, now typically called product, right? Mm -hmm. That a large portion of their job is they spend time just like finance spends time digging through spreadsheets that where they are having to dig through all this data to pull out the insights when like, well, why can't we just have a model surface yeah. that and then they can go do things with it. Who, who's the guy? Who's the broad, Tony from Broadcom? Yep. What, what's the phrase that they're doing now uh, meaningful observability meaningful observability Ooh, they're building that. because they work with like knocks and socks and yeah yeah pants and yep, yeah <laughs> all, okay. all the stuff okay. uh, and they he said you know broadcom's huge, huge. right yep and they're so their customers are huge and they say you know i think his phrase was my customers are telling me i don't need more metrics right like, i don't need we more, have more insight, data than we could possibly data. do with yeah. it's like i need to understand what's meaningful about it <laughs> yes, bingo. and so now they're building these types of tools it was actually pretty cool because i had him on like two years a year or two ago and he was talking about it as a um so he was a practitioner and then okay. broadcom brought him in as like the token customer to work with Got the it. teams and work with the customers and uh he talked about it in theory about a year and a half, two years ago. And then he came on again a couple of weeks ago. He's just over in uh, Memphis. He's oh, just nice. over in Memphis. Okay. So he came on a couple of weeks ago and then he was, it's, they actually have a tool now in, in the wild. Oh, and, cool. And so, uh, proprietary and they build it. Yes. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So they have this tool now in the wild. I don't know if it's like publicly available, right. but I know it's being used. Love that. And he came up with this phrase, meaningful observability. That's interesting. Yeah. That's he, exactly it. Yeah. yeah. He like pioneered that stuff at um, like FedEx in the early 80s or 90s when they were doing wow. all of their logistics and moving to the, you know, the computer systems and all of that, figuring out how to, how to handle, what was he doing? Uh, what Gremlin does, site reliability engineering. Oh, yeah. He's dude. like the godfather of SRE. Yeah. Wow. What a champion. <laughs> that, dude, that, so logistics in general, like shipping logistics, freight, all that stuff, like to me, that's a ripe area for this kind of thing. Cause it's, I mean, it's like 
while there are always like unknowns, you know, like there, I mean, at this point, I don't know if there's a single shipping or freight problem that has never happened. Like there's historical data that can be used for probabilistic purposes. So like, it seems like, and I know a lot of, there's companies like Flexport and some of those others that are dealing mm-hmm. with things like that, like shipping logistics. Uh, they do, I think, I think all their stuff is, um, they deal with like harbors and ports, like oh, cool. ships and stuff. But I like, it, it's the same deal with what we're talking about. Like logistics itself seems to be like a problem that is perfect for this kind of thing because it's all like up until now, we've either had like, you know, these siloed, what what I'm kind of thinking of is like last gen AI systems, mm-hmm. right? That 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 are uh, narrowly focused, good at particular, you know, like particular slices of their thing or whatever. But there is I, we're at a stage now. It's the same reason that GPT can be used for all these different things. That like the narrowness of text models has widened far enough to where like if there's possibility for enough context, like what we're talking about. I mean, anything that is not... Humans shouldn't have to do all that stuff. That should be basically... And it also shouldn't require a whole bunch of... You know, I the timeline to general artificial intelligence is a whole other conversation. But the I do think it's far enough now at this point where most of these problems are just different flavors of the same thing for the models we're talking about. I think we're there. You think... Okay, I think, whoa, it, I think it's already happened. I have a good argument for it too. Okay, go. I wouldn't hit just me. like throw that out I'll, there. Oh, hit me. Yeah. Very simple argument. Uh, Chat GPT is smarter than a lot of people I know. Touche. Then it's like definition of what is what is GAI, you know? Yeah. I um, can talk to it. Or Look, I talk to people and I'm not sure if they're all there, you know? That is so <laughs> true, unfortunately. Yeah. But yeah, I, I've gotten better in my age to like distance, you know, and find the right people to sure. spend time with. Man, it, it's, it's true because I... Okay, the term AI, I mean, a computer is an AI. Like, we've had it for 60, 70 years, right? Yeah. Since the first computers. So then what is the, um, and in that case, you know, like, there's a, if the, like, uh, the way I think about it, I guess, is like, what IQ level are we saying is general intelligence? Because, to your point, we have robots that have some level of IQ now. Yeah, well, that can pass the bar exam. Exactly. How many, how many people, people on the planet yeah. can pass the bar exam? Exactly. It's not an 80% thing. Yeah, exactly. Right? It just isn't. So I wonder, I mean, you know, and I think part of the definition, though, is that it can essentially, like, chat GPT would be able to do all of these things to turn itself into a sentient being somehow if it was truly... Oh, okay. I thought it was just the Turing test where you couldn't tell. No, it is. I mean, it is. But I think that's, the, at least that's the rhetoric, you know, the yeah. whole Skynet thing. What happens when it's self-aware and that, like... Yeah, I, I there's people that aren't self-aware. Right. So. <laughs> that is also a good point. <laughs> this is also a good yeah, point. Yeah, I heard people arguing in LinkedIn. Oh, it was crazy. I got, like, dogpiled by these five girl PhDs because oh, I no. commented on one of the girls' PhDs and she, like, had her whole crew come at me. Holy crap. <laughs> it was. I was like, I don't know if you're all robots or if it's real or whatever. <laughs> right, it's all chat But GPT. it was at yeah. least kind of fun for me, so I screenshotted it and showed it to my wife. <laughs> but they were complaining and, and saying something. Somebody had said, you know, it is... AI and then they're like it's not it's just tokens and they're just consuming information and figuring out what the next best thing to say is and I'm like dot 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 that's like what humans do 
<laughs> I mean, that's what we do. And they're like, it's not creativity. They just take in things around them and past experiences and then use that to create something new. And I'm like, human consciousness. Yeah. Crickets. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hello. Right. That's what we do every day. Yeah. I mean, that is learning. And th that is also the argument with like, like a lot, even the um, legislation that's happening around, you know, like, oh, well, um, there's been a couple images and stuff that have popped up that have had like morphed versions of like, um, you know, like a, a stock image library's logo in it because it like obviously used that as training data and tried to recreate it or whatever. But the like, I don't have to pay to go look at Google images and learn from those or I can trace them. I can, you know, do whatever. So is it just because it's faster that, that we're like, Having these conversations around, around having to charge for training data and that yeah. kind of stuff. And like, I don't have it, like, I understand the value in that. I mean, we even have like, you know, we, um, we, for instance, like at Soundstripe, we have an API where we basically can provide music content for models that are training around that. Okay. Right. But we're charging for numerous reasons, right? Like we paid to create all this music. We also are providing a programmatic interface to it that mm -hmm. we're supporting server infrastructure and all this stuff. There's like, there's a lot of white glove. There's a whole other thing, right? Yeah. But as far as like something just going to Google and learning from that as a training set, it's publicly available data. So I can go learn from that for free. Anyone that yeah. has access to the internet. So if a robot has access to the internet, I it's kind of to the, the thing you're talking about, right? Like, yes, that is technically what it's doing. But the whole... Like, how much different is that than how humans, like my, my example of the Google thing and where it's learning from, that's how we learn. Yeah. And it's literally the same thing. So I don't, you know, and then, but the argument there is like to, um, to what resolution, right? Because we can learn and then apply it to other things, but that's the idea behind multimodal. Like yeah. it will be able to do that even if it can't. So, yeah. When it comes to the complainers, which is what I'm calling them, uh, I had heard, I think Jim Rowan said something. He's like, happy people are happy people expect them to be happy people. Oh, you know, complainers are complainers. If you expect them not to be a complainer, you're the idiot, right? Wow, that's it's who yeah. they are. Right. And so to understand that these people will always exist as we make our progress forward sure. is important. Also with the AGI, because I get to do the show and, and talk and I, you know, read a lot about it. I kind of try to get this feeling, this understanding of like, what are people really saying? Like when you said we're not an agent. And I think what people are really saying is, uh, and I'll tell you exactly why I think there's a parallel to uh, VR. But I think what people are really saying is we're not at singularity. Yet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's what it is. It's like, yeah. We're not there sure. yet. We are not at the singularity point. It's not completely all-knowing, imperfect, and right. whatnot. And it's not bipedal walking around right. with human skin. Right. Like it's not there yet. Right. 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 We're not. We're not uploading our consciousness into the silicon yet. <laughs> yet. We're not right. there. But as far as if you take the word intelligent, the ability to learn. I mean, trees can learn if you block sure. their sunlight. That sure. there. That's a form of intelligence. Sure. Artificial intelligence, just silicon-based intelligence has been around, like you said, since yeah. the 60s, if not sooner. Yeah. But uh, the parallel over, and one of the reasons why I think it's been so successful in culture is because the VR had been so disappointing for so long and had so many false, false starts. Right. Magic leap, you know, sure. there, there's, there's these constant like, oh, you're going to put it on and like you're, it's, it, and everybody had this big 
image of what it was going to be. And then you put it on and there's just nothing but disappointment. Yeah. Right. It's just sad disappointment. And it's like, what is this? And uh, the moment I put on Magic Leap for the first time, I was like, ooh, feel bad for those investors. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> glad, I glad I don't have any money in Magic Leap, oh, you know, man. five years later. Five years, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so that is the opposite of what ChatGPT did. It kind of just showed up one day. Exactly. Publicly. Yeah. And it, there wasn't like this big reveal and like this, uh, you know, um, I don't think that there was publicly like tons of money invested into it. And it was like this big unicorn chasey sure. thing, like, you know, the ride services are like, we're like Uber or whatever. Right, right, there right. There wasn't this big build up to it. It was just one day open AI was like, here you go. Yeah. And then, and then it was so good. So good. It was so good that it didn't create the disappointment. It met or exceeded the expectation. Yeah. And it, that's why I think it's it was the fastest growing technology in the history of humans. That if you uh, if you've seen like the the breakdown of that, like how yeah. much faster it is the, than the everything charts, else, the yeah, curves. like Facebook and all yeah. these other. I didn't validate it, but I saw it and I believed it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just like ChatGPT yeah, does when it sees it. It yeah. probably does a little more work than me. <laughs> <laughs> that okay. So the other thing that's interesting, I'm curious your your thought on this. The idea of like. I can't remember the term for it, but it's basically where um, it's like ingesting its own content, right? Okay. So, you know, like if I go have it write a blog and then I put it online and then they keep training it on online data, oh, okay. right? One example uh, that I saw, someone who's, I, I can't even remember exactly who it was. I just remember it was someone that is certainly a pro in the field. Like they've been around for 30 years doing AI stuff. And they were talking about, it's the same reason, well, one of the reasons that OpenAI has built that kind of detection model because they're trying to weed out that stuff so that it doesn't become a um, race to zero. Because basically what the way this was described was like, okay, if I ask, let's take mid-journey, for example. Mm -hmm. Like if I ask it to create an image of a cat, right? It's going to- Unfortunate. Let's go with dog. (laughs) (laughs) I ask it to create an image of a dog. It's going to do just like what it's learned. It's going to try to create an image of a dog, right? And it may look exactly like the real thing, right? But it's not actually a real image of a dog, right? So to some degree, even if it's 99.99999% close to a real image, it's still some degree off, right? Well, you mean like it's not a photo. It's not a photo. Because like if you draw a dog, that's... An, no, totally. Yeah, right. Exactly, right? But it's not a perfect... like. It's not an actual dog you can walk up to in existence and touch. Exactly. And today's... Today's mid journey, right? We'll just yeah. take a talk about today's. It's not perfect. Like there may be a finger that's slightly off or yeah. whatever, right? Okay. The, the issue is, and the way I heard this described was if that image makes it back to Google, right? I post it on my site and then it gets indexed and whatever else. And then it learns from that. It has now taken that as an image of what a dog looks like. Yeah. And so the next time I go ask it for a dog, it's going to make a slightly worse option. And then eventually it's going to get to where it's oh. one pixel. Yeah, I know how this is going to end up rolling out. Yeah. You're going to have these like data packs. Mm. And you're going to be able to say, okay, GPT, use, you know, it's going to have its core knowledge. Right. Right. And then you're going to be able to to install like data packs, like plugins. Which are, are you just from like data different sets, companies. Basically? Yeah, data yeah. sets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Basically, like, uh, I want the Josh, you know, understanding of this. Sure. And I can plug that in and I can, you know, give it weight to some degree or whatnot. Right. And we're going to go around and we're going to essentially be picking our sources of like our knowledge banks. Totally. Will. Yeah. Totally. But what, how do you, okay. So take, take a uh, chat GPT where they've, I don't remember how many billions of parameters it has at yeah. this point, but it's a lot. All of those data points, how do they then sort through, how do they make sure 
to a hundred percent accuracy mm-hmm. that they're not feeding its own stuff back into it, right? Yeah, we because, can't. And that's the thing is that like, does it by definition it will degrade it, right? But will it degrade it to what I don't know because I'm not in that part of the field is. Uh, does that actually degrade it any different than a blurry image of a dog yeah. that we took, right? Like, I don't know. I don't well, know. Here, here's a big asterisk. I'm so far out of my depth, but this is fun. But like, <laughs> I just don't want people taking it too seriously, the things that I'm saying. But Oh, same. Yeah. I'm not an AI engineer. Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm far from that. Right. If you guys need some business logic or enterprise applications, what up? Can, but Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, I, I think we, there's a couple things to consider. The first thing to consider is that I believe it was largely trained. It's got different uh, versions of it. So you can arguably go back. The current version is trained up to 2021. Yeah. There weren't a ton of generative models out there producing content that it was trained on. So you at least have sort of that and then all the models behind it that you can say with a degree of confidence that there's not a large amount of this AI-generated stuff. True. Second, I think uh, it would definitely reinforce it. And I definitely see the see the problem of like eating its own yeah stuff so I, I see that and I think what will happen is we talk about this problem but where it becomes important is when we're actually trying to solve something and then then the dog has a finger yeah right, so right. so when we get down to that level uh, you could you can fill it up it can think a dog has a finger or whatever sure Great. The general consciousness of the GPT thinks the dog has a finger because it's <laughs> it's self-referenced and yeah. mid-journeyed up and everything, right? Yeah. And but then I'm actually needing this this dog yeah. entity, so I'm going to go get my dog data pack, right? Yeah, yeah. From, from Duck Dynasty or Makes whatever, sense. right? And then and it basically then, fine-tunes it, right? It, it, yeah. It, that's exactly it. Yeah. it. And then and then you're going to have these creators that like this is my mom. Similar to how you see it in the financial services space, where you can like eToro, you can like copy a trader, right? You can, like, find right. the trader, mm-hmm. you can copy them, and then you could have like your data pack, and you're known for your data pack, and then people you will then license that. That's interesting. As the training set, I think that's the future of of where where we're going to be headed. I think that's fascinating cuz yeah. I mean again that's kind of like even with our API that we provide to companies that are training models it's a similar thing yeah. for sure but we got to do a shout out. You got to go sign up for Soundstripe. What's what's the call to action? Do it. Yeah, yeah, check it out. It's uh, soundstripe.com. Once you go to the website, uh, we have music for literally any creative use. So if you're yeah. making videos, podcasts, whatever, we we have stuff for you. So check it out. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you would like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.